0: Hi, welcome to Digging, the only podcast focused solely on infrastructure in the heavy civil construction industry. I'm your host, Taylor Maurer, Senior Managing Partner at HCRC, Heavy Civil Resource Consultants. In this podcast, we explore challenges faced in the industry, investigate the effects of politics, the economy, trends, including stories of success and stories of failure. It is our goal to provide interesting and informative discussions to help educate heavy civil construction professionals be more successful, and to cultivate the industry as a whole. So let's dig in. Hi, Mindy. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Digging. How are you doing today? Hi. Um, Mindy. I'm
1: great. Thanks for having me.
0: Great. Good, good. Mindy Uber is a safety director with Skanska. You've been there how many years now? It's uh we're getting close to a couple decades, I believe, right?
1: It'll be 17 years in just a few weeks.
0: 17 years in just a few weeks. And uh, she has also reached uh, a milestone. Mindy's reached a milestone that very few have the honor of achieving, which is being on the OSHA Advisory Board. Um, I think how many other advisory members are on that board with you?
1: There's 15 of us total. So five of us represent employers. Five represent employees, mostly through labor unions. And there's two from the public. From states and one from the federal government.
0: That's amazing. So a very elite group that you've been invited to be part of, and we look forward to learning more about that. Um, I would love to start off by uh, you telling us about how you got into safety, when you decided to get into safety, and and really kind of the start of your career and how it morphed into what it has become today. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, sure. So I would say that um, my career in safety happened by accident, uh, no pun intended. I got my undergraduate degree in environmental science. um, Then after working for a couple years for a state agency, decided to pursue my master's degree in environmental studies. And while I was going to graduate school, I worked for an environmental consulting firm and did a lot of industrial hygiene work. So I did asbestos surveys, lead paint assessments, mold investigations, silica monitoring, all sorts of other fun hazardous materials investigations. Um, but that introduced me to the worker protection side of things, more on the health side than, than safety necessarily. But I did do some work on construction sites um, during those six years. Um, but then I got a little antsy to do something else, um, but I didn't quite know what that was. I happened to meet someone in the construction industry while I was taking a class. And he thought it would be a great benefit to have someone with my background join his environmental health and safety team. I had the environmental uh, college education. I had the health background in my um, consulting work. And so adding the safety piece of that to EHS um, really kind of brought it all together. And uh, that was 17 years ago, and I've been with Skanska ever since.
0: Uh, who was that person that suggested that?
1: His name is Bob Moore. He's retired now, but um, he saw something in me in that class that he thought I could I could uh, do great in EHS. And I, I became the director in Seattle after he retired. And um, probably the closest I've ever had to, you know, the greatest mentor Um believing in me and and uh, giving me the reins
0: great great um how long did did how long did your kind of mentorship relationship last with Bob I know you said that he retired and you took over for him is is he somebody that you still stay in touch with and consult with
1: I do we get together every now and again for you know a drink or lunch um he was very strategic in how he Uh, pass things over to me as he just kind of faded out into the distance. He moved into a regional role um, about, I don't know, five years into my career. And um, just, he was still available if I needed him, but he let me really figure out how to do things on my own. And then he just quietly one day said he was retiring and the job was mine.
0: Wow. Uh, that's a, a great story. We love to hear stories about people moving up within their, their own companies rather than having to reach out to uh, other companies to find the career path that they're looking for. So I'm glad that, that Skanska and, and Bob m- created that for, for you. Um, what do you love about your job?
1: I love the people. I know that's cliche, but I really love talking to the craft workers. What brings them joy? Um, I I also love my team. I work with great people around the country. Um, We work really well together, so we're able to not only shape the safety culture within Skanska, but within the construction industry as a whole. Um, and I love traveling to different projects and seeing all the cool stuff that we build and, and getting to meet our teams that, that do the hard work every day. Um, say so every day is a challenge for me and I love that I'm never bored.
0: Now, are you still based out of the Pacific Northwest?
1: Yes, I'm based out of Seattle, but I cover Washington, Oregon, California, Arizona for the EHF okay. team. So all right. I travel a bit.
0: And can you tell me a little bit about uh, like how many people report in, in your role currently, how many people report to you and who you report to now?
1: Yeah, I report to Brad McFarland. He is based out of Houston. He's our VP of EHS for the building group.
0: Okay. And then do you you have safety engineers that on projects, significant projects that report to you, I take it?
1: Yeah, we have um, EHS directors in each of the states that I oversee. And then they have teams that are day-to-day on the projects that are um, under my purview.
0: Okay. Is there anything that you you wish was different about the role that you fill? Like some days are you like, oh gosh, I wish I wasn't traveling today or... um, I don't know. I know like sometimes, even though you're very safety is very important to building projects, you know it's like you're you're almost one you might feel one step removed from actually kind of having your hands on the project and actually getting the work done. So are there things that uh, that you can think of that you' you don't get to experience in a role of safety that would be fun?
1: Yeah, that was my biggest fear as I moved up in the company and became the director and now senior director, that I was getting further and further away from the field. I I do miss that day-to-day excitement of being on a job site and and getting to know the people and the work really intimately, um, hearing what people are doing on the weekends and um, their kids are growing up and that I really appreciated um, those relationships and it's more challenging now because I'm in a different place most days or I'm traveling. Um, but I do feel like I can reach more people in my current role. Um, so it's a, it's a give and take. But I do have the luxury of going to job sites when I want to and try to re- reconnect with folks that I've gotten to know over the years.
0: Um, and how much travel do you typically do now in your role?
1: It depends on the month. Some months I'm going to conferences or, or corporate meetings, but I would say I probably travel 50% of the time.
0: Okay. Um what have you done to accelerate your career? I mean, it sounds like you uh you mentioned your mentorship with Bob, and we we are big proponents of candidates seeking mentors, uh, proactively seeking mentors and trying to establish even a formal mentorship with at least one person in their profession, if not multiple. Um, So I'd I'd love to hear more about, uh, you know, your experience with that and then other things that you strategically did to try to accelerate your career.
1: Yeah, I have certainly had some formal mentors throughout my career, which I found especially helpful as I was transitioning into a leadership role as a director and moving away from the the project-based safety role. Um, I always appreciated having someone to bounce ideas off of or go to for advice other than my supervisor. Um, And now I don't have a formal mentor at the moment, but I do still have those handful of colleagues that I can call up and um, if I need support or just a sanity check um, to help reinforce my ideas or, you know, build my confidence. Um, As far as accelerating my career, I've always been the first person to volunteer to go to a workshop, take a class, get a certification. I'm always looking to learn more and whatever makes me more valuable to the company, um, I'm willing to do. So right after I joined Skanska, I passed my certified industrial hygienist test so mm-hmm. at the time that made me the only C.I.H. in the company, um, which opened a lot of doors for me, allowed me to assist project teams um, across the country with industrial hygiene needs. So I made a lot of connections with people I wouldn't otherwise have met. And then I got my certified safety professional credential, which reinforced my commitment to the safety piece of of the E.H. and S world. And like I said, throughout my career, I've always been you know, building inspector has whopper 40 hour. I was an OSHA outreach trainer. I was a first aid CPR trainer. Um, I still go to professional development conferences every year to try to stay on top of what's going on in the industry and, and network with my colleagues. So um, I'm always interested in learning what's, what's new.
0: Um, let's talk a little bit more about the CSP because that is something that, throughout my career of nineteen years, I see our clients requesting more and more for people in safety leadership roles. How did you fig? How did you find out about the CSP, ASP, CSP, and and um, and what kind of energized your passion to go out there and Get that certification.
1: Um, I learned about the CSP as soon as I got into safety. I I started researching uh, what's the next thing I can do. I was lucky I didn't have to do the ASP because I had my CIH first. Um, mm-hmm. But I, you know, just in my research around the the construction and safety industry, realized that was the gold standard, um, especially in a leadership role, showing you know, a combination of experience, but also that formal education. Um, I think when I see that on someone's resume, it shows their their dedication to the, to the trade of safety. And um, I assume they have a passion for safety, like I do, that, that, you know, this is something they have worked towards and put in the time and energy to study for and um, set themselves apart from others in the industry.
0: And to maintain the CSP, does that require continuing education credits to maintain that or, um, or or do you have to be active within the organization uh, on top of those addition those continuing education credits to maintain your CSP
1: yeah so I maintain it every every five years is a recertification cycle so I can use a combination of my full-time work experience being in safety um, combined with you know webinars, classes that I take, conferences that I attend, um, and document all those hours of continuing education and and submit those um, for review.
0: Okay. Um, How did you end up finding yourself, and and I hope I'm getting this right, did you get nominated to be on the OSHA Advisory Board, or how does that work?
1: (laughs) Uh, It's a self-nomination process. So... um, At the end of last year, I had seen some articles in safety publications about this advisory committee on construction safety and health, and that OSHA was looking for nominations. And I really didn't know anything about it at the time. So I talked to a few colleagues and they said, yeah, it would be great if someone from Skanska was part of that committee. And I thought about it and well, why not me? So I submitted my resume, my letter of interest uh, in early January. And then after several months of silence, figured that I hadn't been selected. Um, But then in May, I got a phone call from OSHA letting me know I'd been selected. And if I was still interested, I would be on the committee of one of the five members representing employers.
0: And what kind of commitment does that look like uh, being part of that um, committee?
1: Yeah, so the committee, it's a two-year appointment. Um, The committee meets twice a year or two to four times a year uh, in Washington, D.C. for a two-day meeting. Um, Our first meeting was earlier this month, and each of the committee members was assigned to at least one working group. And the working groups will meet virtually um, in between our face-to-face meetings to ultimately make recommendations to OSHA, on the three focus areas that they selected. So this session, they've asked the committee to look at health hazards, work zone safety, and emerging and current issues. So I'm the co-chair um, for the health hazards committee. So I've got five other committee members helping me with that effort, um, reviewing data to identify the top health hazards and construction and then develop resources that OSHA can offer to employers and employees. So we have two years to do this work. so i, I don't see the you know day to- co- day time commitment being um, too overbearing, but um, I look forward to continuing to work on these um, these tasks with my fellow committee members.
0: Now, in the article that I read, it mentioned um, just that some of these standards are fairly outdated, which isn't surprising anytime you're working with a government agency. Uh, I think everybody expects things to move extremely slowly, If and, and you're often sometimes lucky to get any movement at all, uh, and when you do get movement, you're hoping that it is in the right direction. <laughs> um, you probably, since you've only had one meeting, you probably haven't. You, you may not have any feedback uh, on this, but does it ever feel like pushing a boulder uphill um, in regards to to trying to get, implement and get change to happen?
1: Yeah, that was my initial thought as well, is that you know, OSHA is a very slow moving machine. There's a lot of stakeholders involved when they update a new rule or, or create a new rule. Um, so they recognize that and they aren't, necessarily asking for our recommendations around regulations. They use other um, methods to create resources. So they have, um, you know, special focus topics or initiatives. They have a lot of information on their website that isn't related to any regulations. They have information on mental health and suicide awareness and um, things that don't have OSHA rules, And but they know that, um, they still reach a broad audience, and people go to them for help um, finding resources. So, their ask of our committee is more around that um, focus area of trainings that could be developed. Or it, but it, it doesn't have to be focused on a, a regulation.
0: Okay. Um... Let's talk about the mental health piece in construction. I believe it was also mentioned in that article that that is one of your passions, is is focusing on that. Um, What, how did did that become a passion of yours?
1: When I was on projects full-time, I had a lot of workers come to me to talk about personal struggles they were having and I always felt like my job was just to listen. Um, And I don't know if they came to me because I was one of the only women on the job site or because I was the safety person, but I was just glad they had found someone to talk to because I think in some cases they didn't have anyone else in their lives that they could talk to. Um, So I realized then that, you know, my role was bigger than just keeping people safe from the, the physical hazards on the job site, that this you know, total worker health concept is a thing, that if people aren't showing up to work fully focused and ready to do their jobs, then we can't expect them to be paying attention to the hazards around them or other workers around them. Um, And just, you know, seeing where we are um, as a, you know, a U.S. culture these days with depression, substance abuse, PTSD, anxiety, construction certainly not alone and in fact you know more focus of all of those challenges um, and i want to be part of the effort to to move the industry away from the tough guy mentality and letting people know that there are resources available and there's there's nothing wrong with asking for help um, i want to be there to help people do whatever they need to do to get through their day um, the safest, and if that's a mental health you know outreach program or you know fixing a guardrail i'm you know I'm here to help in any way I can
0: um it, it and it is so hard to ask for help often um especially when you're in a in, in environment when where you're only supposed to be perceived as being seen as uh as being, you know, accomplished and, you know, moving forward and being a leader um, to, to to try to move your career forward. So I could, can completely understand why it's so hard for people to ask for help um, in just in any job, not just construction. But speaking of construction, I believe the industry has one of the highest suicide rates of um, of any other industry. Why do you think that is?
1: Um, You're right, it is one of the um, industry with the highest suicide rates, unfortunately. And I I think that's because of a lot of different factors. Um, It's physically demanding work, long work days, high expectations for production and schedule. Um, There's a lot of stress when a job ends. Or the economy changes, and suddenly people don't know where they're going to get their next paycheck from. We have workers who travel all over the country. And so they're away from home, they're just going where the work is. Or if they are local, they may have a really long commute. They may not be sleeping enough. Uh, they may not be taking time to focus on their physical health. Um, and it's, you know, the industry itself is kind of a melting pot of a lot of high risk factors. Uh, for suicide in the U.S. We um, uh, account for most of the suicides in the U.S. Then we have a lot of military veterans who are at higher risk mm-hmm. for suicide than the general population. Um, add in workplace injuries, chronic pain, self-medication risks. And um, unfortunately, there's there's a lot of those risk factors that that show up um, in our industry.
0: Um, we ran a poll Recently, uh, that was, what comment below best describes your feeling about work-life balance in the construction industry? Uh, Only 8% said that they thought that the work-life balance was good. Um, With 69% feeling like the work-life balance was poor. We also had 438 responses for that poll is one of the most popular polls that we've done. Um, I, I have this theory that it, it, it kind of all boils down to, and, and this is maybe a very oversimplification, but it always boi- it boils down to just the hard bid mentality, right? You're, to get work you got to put in the lowest number. When you put in the lowest number, you only have so much control over your material cost, your subcontractor cost, your um uh your equipment cost. So where where do you make it up and where do you make your profit and it seems it it I feel like it that's where that demand on the industry employees really falls from labor all the way up to executive. Um, and, you know, always, almost everybody has to worry about profit, profit or production, right? It's the two things that are, are driving the, these projects to get done. Um, I've often wondered, like, what what could we change? You know, I, I see these alternative delivery projects coming, where you have different delivery methods, but it still feels like there's a good bit of that hard bid mentality still attached to those to those projects. It's just kind of endemic because that's where the industry started. Um, and I, I feel like that's a big driving force to, that really affects the quality of life, um, for these employees. And then as you mentioned, you throw, you throw in, um, other complications, PTSD and, and, and it's, uh, there are, you do have to be careful and always think about safety when you're, when you're at a job site, uh, working at a job site, um, do you have ideas on how, like, what, how, what the industry or how things might change to make it a, a better place to work, a safer place to work?
1: Yeah, I think the the schedule pressure and the um, increased demand from from clients is is a difficult one to for us to influence, and that um, that will continue to be a challenge for you know. Reasonable work shifts and not working every weekend. Um, What I think we can control as an industry is making the job site more psychologically safe so that everyone feels empowered to speak up and ask for help when they need it. Um, There's a lot of pride in construction, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it can prevent someone from asking for help carrying a heavy load or prevents an apprentice from asking a journeyman how to use a tool and then they get injured. Um, and it also, you know, prevents people from asking for help um, with addiction or depression or other, you know, mental health issues that we talked about. So I think uh, like any good relationship advice, that communication is key. If if we can get people talking to us and we can listen as leadership and as an industry. Um, No matter what it is, whatever's on people's minds, they they want to vent about something, they need help with something, um, and just open up the conversation so that we get more input from the workers. Uh, I feel like a lot of what we do as companies is is tell people how to do their jobs, and we know how to do it safely, and this is what our policy says, here's what the training says, and um, we don't spend enough time listening They've experienced and what they're going through or, like I said earlier, trying to soften the edge around that that tough guy mentality can help us um, improve the the way of life for for the workers. Um, one of Skanska's values is care for life. And um, as simple as that sounds, I think um, showing that you care for someone else on the job site is a big shift in how the industry has been operating for, for years and years and years.
0: Let's, uh, speaking of Skanska, you've been with Skanska for, you said, you're coming up on 17 years. Let's t- tell me about Skanska and why you've decided to call it home for that long. It must be a great place to work.
1: It's been a great place for me. They um since day one, I've felt supported. Um in my career, I've always gotten the the training I need, the you know, resources I needed um to become a better leader. Um, there's a lot of great opportunities within Skanska with you know um training programs that are in-house, but also opportunities outside of the organization to to focus on people. Um, I think Skanska is a very people-based organization and um, investing in people is really important to uh, to Skanska. Um, so I've I've had a lot of, like I said, great opportunities to, to meet folks and um, try new things. And I haven't always succeeded, but I've been supported when I've come back around and said, all right, well, that didn't work. Um, let's try something different. And um, I've never been told no. So, um, and I do believe that Skanska, um, walks the walk when it comes to safety, that all the way up to our, you know, senior leadership, they, they truly believe that getting people home safely is the most important thing we do every day. And yes, there are, you know, profit and schedule and production and chasing clients are always, um, part of that, that balance, but, um, When we do have a serious incident or someone gets injured it is um, all hands on deck to to mitigate the um, situation and make sure that person gets the care that they need um, and then that we learn from that and get better. So the continuous improvement and you know um, wanting to improve our safety culture over time. I've seen it in my 17 years and I know it's frustrating for some people that we're we're trying new approaches or we've got different software or we've got a new slogan uh, it seems to be a moving target but to me it's we're just continuing to raise the bar and if there's some new technology or something we can try that keeps our workers safer uh, we're gonna give it a shot
0: um speaking of technology do you f- a- of course ai is the buzzword in technology these days but do you feel like there is an opportunity for AI or just new emerging technologies to have that, that might have a significant impact on construction safety overall?
1: Yes, but I think we need to be careful with it. You know, you can ask AI to print out a safety plan for you. But if you don't take the time to read it and educate your employees on it, then it's just the piece of paper on the shelf. So I think there are ways that we can leverage that technology to to give people something to start with. If they've got a blank slate uh, instead of, you know, an actual safety plan, it's um, a starting point, but does still require the, the human piece of it to put it into place. Mm-hmm. And I think there are other technologies out there. Um, it's just finding the ones that solve a problem that we have, not just using a new technology just for the sake of it.
0: Right. What kind of advice would you give people starting off their career in safety? Um, if you could go back to your, I don't know how old, 20, 20 yourself, 18, mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure when you got into the safety or when you you were like, oh, you know, this is something I should look into, but what what kind of advice would you give um, would you give individuals that might be considering a career in safety?
1: Well, I'd say be curious and be eager um, if you can shadow a few safety professionals to see what they do every day and kind of see if you can envision yourself in that day-to-day world um, and don't be afraid to ask questions. I spent, a lot of my um, time early in my career, just talking to superintendents and foremen, learning how we build things. I, I didn't have a construction background, so um, I was always asking questions, and and I have no no qualms about that. Um, I admit when I don't know something, and and that's how I've been able to learn. Um, I would also say, you know, take as many classes as you can to to build up that technical knowledge, but you're never going to know everything, and that's okay. As long as you know someone you can ask or somewhere to look it up to find the answers, um, you can still be successful. Um, and I think being someone who's approachable can make you you know, the most successful safety professional. You You don't want to be the safety cop. You want to be someone who is a resource for folks in the field. So getting to know your workforce um, on a personal level um, makes them much more likely to come and talk to you. So that soft skills um, development is really important, I think, in safety professionals.
0: I remember when I first started off in the industry back in the early 2000s, that behavioral-based safety was kind of the big buzz Word. How how has that? I guess that way of thinking. Well, maybe you should, we should start with. Can you can you share what your kind of definition is of that, and how that thinking, that school of thinking, has evolved or changed over the last seventeen years that you've been in the industry?
1: Yeah, I've always thought of behavior based safety as putting safety in the hands of the workers to identify hazards and coach each other. When you know if someone near them is doing something unsafe, that they take the initiative to go correct that behavior, not wait for superintendent or um, leadership to come and, and intervene. And being able to measure how many of those interactions happen um, throughout the day is you know, a measure of behavior-based safety. Um, I don't have much experience at that level with it. I think what we've always been kind of wrestle with is human behavior. You know, how do we really get into the minds of people? They've been trained. They've got the tools. We set them up for success. And how do we try to influence their behavior that day so that they go out and do the work safely? Um, so. That's been my experience with um, the behavior side of it and, and not just the, the technical education part.
0: Yeah, I guess it's almost somewhat of a contradiction with kind of that hard bid mentality and pushing schedules like, you know, hey, find the shortcut, and, you know, increase your production. But you have, you know, you, if you've always got to consider how that's going to affect safety, the environment and, um and your safety plan um, when implementing those changes. And I think it's a lot of people rush into that. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to find the shortcut. We're going to implement the shortcut without, without taking that, uh, the safety aspect into consideration.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: What uh, going back to the OSHA advisory committee, what do you, do you have a certain goal or thing that you'd really like to accomplish over the next two years with the committee?
1: Yeah, I'm excited to share my knowledge and experience, especially around health hazards in construction. I think that somewhere we can really improve as an industry, we often fail to identify health hazards because it's things we can't see. We can't see the harmful particulates or radiation, and a lot of that's just, you know, um, lack of knowledge or lack of training. So I would like to be able to um, offer some suggestions for how to better educate the industry um, and what those, you know, what those tools might be um, that OSHA could provide either through their website or through outreach programs to to bring some focus to, to the health hazards um, personally, I'm, you know, I hope to achieve a broader perspective on the industry through working with my, you know, committee members that represent other general contractors and labor unions and, and state agencies. Um, and I've never been part of something at this this level before. And I've already gotten a little behind the scenes look at how OSHA operates, and I'm excited to learn more about that because I think it's a really important part of our industry and um, how we influence safety across the board. So um, I hope to contribute, but I know that I will also get something out of it for myself um, as a safety pro- safety professional.
0: Do you travel to DC for any of these meetings or are they all held virtually or a mixture of both?
1: Mixture of both. So we meet in person two to four times a year. So we met a couple weeks ago in D.C. in person, and then our next meeting will probably be the early part of 2024, so our working groups will meet virtually in between now and then.
0: Okay. Is it always in D.C. where you meet, or do you get to pick other fun cities like New Orleans or, (laughs) I don't know, where New York City or wherever, Boston?
1: It's always in D.C. because that's where OSHA is.
0: That's where OSHA is. I kind of figured that. Um, I think one other question that I would love to ask you would be, over your 17-year career, what are you most proud of in regards to the way that you've impacted either your your colleagues or just your what what would you consider your greatest accomplishment at Skanska?
1: Hmm. That's a tough question. Um, what comes to mind first is my EHS team, when I was the director in Seattle and you know hiring folks to work on our projects, um, and seeing them grow over the years and seeing, you know, Maria, who's taken my place as the director, in Seattle with someone I hired. Um, she was a, you know, career laborer who's moved her way up to director. So I'm, I'm proud that I've been able to, um, you know, be a mentor and be a coach to help people succeed and, um, really thrive in their industry. And, and so many of them are still with Ganska that, that
0: makes me proud. That's great. That's great. Um, you mentioned the mentorship, of Maria how how often did you guys typically meet or to discuss or was it a, a formal mentorship informal mentorship or what did that look like
1: it was informal we just kind of made it what we needed it to be I let her kind of guide how often she wanted me um giving her advice so at times it was every day um and other times you know now it's once a week um but as she's gotten more comfortable in her role, she um, is independent, and that's great. She she doesn't need me looking over her shoulder all the time, but she knows I'm here if, if ever she needs me.
0: Are there any other big things that you would love to accomplish with your career when it comes to safety?
1: Hmm. I don't think anything big is on my goal plan other than just continuing to evolve and, and doing more of, of what I've been doing. I, um, hmm, it's a tough question. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I love what I do. I love the people I work with. I, I'm not ready to move up, you know, to the next level of Leadership in the company quite yet. Um, I'm pretty happy where I am in this regional role. So uh, I can until I figure out that I've I've mastered this this scope, then I can take on the next um, big step. But um, I've still got a lot of people to meet and support and help mentor. So um, my work's not done yet.
0: I, I'm curious under in your current position, approximately how many people? fall under kind of your your advisory when it comes to safety?
1: Uh, so I've got four direct reports. Those are the directors in Washington, Oregon, California, Arizona. And then under them, the field-based team, there's about 50 people who report up through their directors and then up to me.
0: And then how many how many would you say laborers or management team at these project sites do you guys would your team oversee approximately?
1: Mm-hmm. It depends on the region, um, but you know in Washington, Oregon, we've easily got fifteen projects in each location with you know, couple hundred workers on site project teams around 20 25 people um, on average some some much smaller, some much larger mm-hmm. um, So yeah we number of projects you know California is a handful of smaller projects. Arizona' is a handful of, of larger projects um, so it's a mix um, but several hundred um, in each region for sure.
0: I'm curious, are there any specific projects that are more challenging when it comes to putting in, putting together a a safety plan than others? You know, one that might come to mind is like an airport project where you have a lot of vehicles moving around outside as well as airplanes. um, And then, you know, often working while terminals are open and functioning. Uh, That would be one that would come to mind as being, you know, seems like it would be a really challenging project. Um, Can you think of any, just anything come to mind uh, when it comes to kind of scope, scope of work or, or type of project that is really challenging when it comes to safety?
1: Yeah, I would say anytime we're on a live campus, like an airport, we do a lot of work on, you know, college university campuses. K through 12 schools, hospitals. Um, So we are keeping the existing facility up and running and trying to be invisible to them, um, logistically is challenging. I would also say our high rises are challenging. We're often in a downtown urban environment, very little lay down room, very little loading, unloading zone access backing trucks in and out can be difficult. So tight spaces and then um, active campuses would be most challenging.
0: Active campuses, confined space. Interesting. Okay. Um, is there anything that we didn't cover that uh, you think you'd like to share or discuss that you're passionate about with safety or any other advice that you can share with our listeners
1: i think we've covered a lot i would just kind of sum it up to say you know i've always appreciated in safety that we don't have trade secrets i can call my counterparts at other companies and say what's working for you guys can we borrow it can we do the same because we all have the same interest and we all yeah. share. So you have the same goal yeah, yeah you
0: want people to come home safe
1: Right. And so there's there's no no pride. I mean, there's pride, but there's no like you can't have it. We've we've got the secret sauce. And um, so I, I really love that um, we have that openness as an industry to make it better. And I'm hopeful that through further industry communications and collaborations that we can help support the the mental health and suicide awareness initiative because it's it's truly really gonna take an industry. To make something like that change. It can't just happen in pockets. So i um, hoping to be able to touch more, um, more folks through that process of, you know, being industry-wide.
0: Do you see that being just more education and outreach focused for it to, to really make the impact that you're envisioning?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it's talking about it and just, making resources available to whoever needs them, but, but finding that, whether that's a website or a poster or a sticker, you know, there's a lot of different ways to get information out there. And, and the more we can um, share and offer resources to smaller companies who may not have, you know, full safety departments, but they need the same resources as well. How can we make it available to everybody?
0: Mindy, thank you so much for coming on our podcast and sharing your wealth of knowledge and expertise with us. Um, I, I've i learned a ton and I really, I've just had fun. It's been fun hanging out and uh, and listening to everything that you've shared with us.
1: Well, thank you. It's been a great experience.
0: All right. Great. And, um, yeah, we'll, uh, make sure to have, we'll have Skanska's website posted on our show notes so you can check it out there. And, uh, Mindy, can we share your LinkedIn profile as well on the show notes? And, um, yeah, I think that that will wrap it up. Okay. All right. Thank you, Mindy. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Sounds good. Thanks, Taylor.
0: All right. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you found this episode of Digging interesting. I will ask just one thing of you. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends and colleagues. We welcome your feedback and ideas for future podcasts and guests. To connect with us, please email me at taylorm at hcrc.us. We want to thank everyone who contributes to the making of Digging, including Lucas West on sound design, Josh Roberts for the Kickass music, and our clients for making it possible for us to fund this idea and make it a reality. And one last plug, if you are in need of exceptional talent capture in the heavy civil construction industry or consultation regarding the future of your career in the industry, please visit www hcrc.us or contact us at 828-515-4272. Thank you and we'll see you soon for the next episode of Digging.